Um, the book of Psalm uh, 30, where we hear from the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The word of the Lord for his people. Good morning. Let me add my voice to those who have welcomed you. I'm Nathan Boyette. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so happy to see all of you here. If you are visiting with us, we are just delighted that you are here, and we would love to get to know you and uh, hear a little bit about your story and see how we can get better get you plugged in, if that's your desire. So I got to put on a, a timer, otherwise I may just go too long. A couple of quick announcements. Next Sunday, September 12th, we are switching from 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock to 8.30 and 11 o'clock worship service with a middle equip hour. We're going to have these equip groups. If you haven't gotten one yet, out in the lobby, there are these uh, flyers uh, that tells you about our equip groups. Uh, if you look at the back, there's a whole list of the opportunities that you can have to be equipped for Christian life and ministry and built up in your faith. And we are really excited about this. There will be EP Kids Crew, Noah's Ark Preschool. There's a lot that's going to be happening next week, beginning next week. To that effect, on September, 9th, uh, September 12th, just next week, if we do not get more people to help at the 11 o'clock hour, we will not be able to provide preschool nursery care during the 11 o'clock worship service. We have people for the middle equip hour, but we have no one for the 11 o'clock worship service. And we need people who can help so that families with really young kids can come to our 11 o'clock service and worship without distraction. And so our little kids who are in the nursery can be built up in their faith and taught uh, the wonderful truths of the gospel. So if you have that on your heart, we would love it if you could take a help out and sign up today. We have finished our summer series on the parables in the Gospel of Luke. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. And this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be having two standalone sermons. Next Sunday, we'll hear from Pastor Harrison. And this Sunday, I get the privilege of preaching on a topic that is near and dear to my heart, worship something that I have been reflecting on for the past month in preparation. You might, if you knew me, be like, Nathan, why are you preaching on worship? You can't sing for the life of you. You can't play a musical instrument. Uh, and that is true. I can't do any of those things. But worship is something that I love and am passionate about. When we gather together here on Sunday morning, I am filled with such joy Sometimes I come in without much joy, but I always leave so encouraged to gather together as God's people in God's house and worship our God together. Let's pray and then we'll dive right in. Father God, we thank you for this time. 
where we can come and put aside the distractions and listen to your word and what you want to teach us through it. Holy Spirit, please be present. Speak through this message, we pray. Touch our hearts where it needs to be touched. Challenge us, comfort us, we pray, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin this short time and reflect on worship, I want to encourage you to think of what we do here on Sunday morning as a meal. Worship as a meal. Meals are an essential part of our life. We all need food. And in the Christian life, we need food to be nourished and strengthened in our faith. And the worship service is a meal. But as we think about this worship service as a meal, we can think about different types of meals that we have. Sometimes we go to a restaurant and have a meal. And sometimes we go to a home with our family and have a family meal around the table. And those two things are very different. If we go to the family meal and act as if we're at a restaurant, then that will not go over very well, right? Or if we go to the restaurant and act as if we are at the family home having a family meal, that will not go over very well. If I go to my family home for a family meal and I treat my mom or my wife as if they are a waiter, that will not go well. A family meal is about participation. It's about everybody being involved and enjoying the time together and putting in the effort to make it an enjoyable, enriching, nourishing experience. The restaurant is about consuming, getting what you paid for. And the worship service is definitively not like the restaurant meal experience. It's not about consuming. It's not about getting what you paid for. It's not just about observing a performance. It's about participating, taking part in what is going on, like a family meal. Psalm 130 is a song of ascent. The psalms are intentional, corporate songs of worship. These 150 psalms are examples of the songs that the people of Israel would sing in praise of our God. And the Songs of Ascent were a collection of songs sung as people traveled to worship at the temple. It was to prepare their hearts for the time they would spend in God's house worshiping him. The songs were to prepare their hearts for worship. These songs include, these Songs of Ascent include confident praise, thanksgiving, sorrowful lament, and songs of future hope. The context of Psalm 130 is the depths the depths. This is an eloquent way of referring to our world broken by sin. Our world is broken by sin, and so as we live in this world broken by sin, it is difficult to have hope. When we look around at the sin, our own sin, the sin of others that is impacting us, we can lose hope, and that's why people struggle with depression, suicidal thoughts. That's why people self-medicate with all of the things that we know people self-medicate with, alcohol, success in their jobs, sex, drugs, any number of things that we try to keep the depths, the brokenness at bay. But we in this psalm are challenged not to go to those other things, but to go to the Lord for our hope, to worship him to strengthen our hope. And when we gather here for worship as God's family, we each bring a different background, a different struggle, a different situation where some of us are struggling with the depths of life at this very moment, and some of us are in the joys of life at this very moment. We all come here with different 
current experiences. And we each need to be here with our different current experiences because we are richer being here together. You never know how you being here, even in the midst of your depths and your struggles, might be an encouragement to somebody else. I have had moments in my Christian life where I will look across the sanctuary and I will see a sister who recently lost her husband and she will be worshiping God and I will be strengthened in my faith because I have seen her worshiping in faith and in hope. Or I might see a couple who recently had a miscarriage and they are worshiping God despite that. Or I might see a young brother who is struggling with cancer or another thing and they are worshiping from their heart and we are strengthened by their presence here. And we need one another in our worship. Corporate worship is of extreme importance. So God has graciously given his people these times of worship to strengthen our hope. As we worship together, we are formed into a people that hope in God. We are formed into a people that hope in God. Romans 12, Paul, he's explained the gospel in great detail. Romans 1 through 11. And then Romans 12, 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In our worship, we are formed and changed into the people God wants us to be. And that's the idea we're exploring today. In a broken world, God graciously gives us worship to form us into a people who hope in him. In a broken world, God graciously gives us worship to form us into a people who hope in him. And so we should joyfully worship together as God's people. Now, what is the hope that we have? We have the hope that in Jesus Christ, in our salvation, we will return to God's original creational goal of being people created in God's image, image, living for his glory, flourishing under his kingship, and uh, and loving others in community. That's what God created us to be. And we have lost that because of our brokenness and sin. And that's our hope that we will return to that one day because of the salvation that Jesus has provided for us. Brian Chappell, an author that I love, has said that liturgy tells a story and we tell the gospel by the way we worship. Liturgy tells a story, and we tell the gospel by the way we worship. And so I'm gonna focus in this morning on our worship liturgy. What do we do each Sunday morning? We have a call to worship. We sing songs of praise. We confess our sins, and we're assured of God's gracious pardon. We give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. We have a congregational prayer. We listen to God's word, the preaching and then we receive a benediction and we are sent out. There's other things that we do, of course. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper today. At various points, we'll have baptisms. Sometimes we'll recite a creed or confession or catechism together, but these seven things are things that we often, almost every Sunday, have in our worship service. And some of you have asked me occasionally, why do we do those things? So I wanna reflect together on those today. Our liturgy walks us through the story of God's salvation and should inspire us to greater worship, which will form us into the people God wants us to be. And as we go through each one of these common elements of our liturgy, I'm gonna briefly unpack three things. How this tells the story of God's salvation, how it inspires us to greater worship, and how it forms us into the people God is calling us to be. See, God wants to form us through our worship. He wants to form our identity, that we are 
Christians united with Christ. He wants to form our affections, the things we long for, the things we love. He wants to form our hope, that we hope in him and his salvation and his restoration and not in the things of this world. He wants to form our life in this world, the mission that he has called us to be a part of. The reality is that we are all formed by something. We can either be formed by the cultural liturgies of this world or we can be formed by what happens here on Sunday morning. There's cultural liturgies going on every day around us, pop music and other types of music, television and movies, news media, advertisements, all of these are selling us something. They're forming us into people as a society who have a certain set of values, beliefs, and loves. Are we being formed by our popular culture or are we being formed by God's word here on Sunday morning through the worship? That's what I want you to think and reflect on today. So first, the call to worship. In our theme psalm today, we see that the author calls Israel to worship the Lord. In verse seven, he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. The Psalms commonly call God's people to worship him. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Our call to worship this morning came from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. That's what happens when we come here on Sunday morning and we hear a call to worship. We are being called to put aside the distractions, to put aside our own struggles and worship God. Because that is what all humanity is called to do. That is the story of God's salvation. All humanity is called to worship God. When something is worthy of praise, we call others to recognize it. C.S. Lewis is known for saying that calling other people to recognize that which is praiseworthy actually increases our own enjoyment of it. When somebody wants to praise the beauty of their spouse, the deliciousness of a meal, that great cup of coffee, that completes our enjoyment. Recently, I went to an amusement park with my sons. They are all about roller coasters now, and we, when we went back to my, their grandparents' house, they were praising the Racer 75 roller coaster at King's Dominion, the Twisted Timbers. They were like, this is so awesome, Grandpa. And they were more excited as they told their grandparents about this roller coaster. It completed their enjoyment. That is what the call to worship is to do. It is calling us into the praise of our God who is worthy of worship. So when we gather here on Sunday morning, we're called to worship the triune God who created us, saved us, and wants us to live in relationship with him. Sometimes we use a song as a call to worship, sometimes a Bible passage as we did this morning that's appropriate to the theme of the worship service. Sometimes it will be a reflection from the personal life and thoughts of the person leading the worship liturgy. All of those things will call us into worship of our God. So the call to worship tells the story of God's salvation because it represents the very call of God's creation and God's word, which calls all of humanity to not worship other things and worship God alone. It inspires us to greater worship because it calls us to worship God in his beauty or his holiness or his glory. It forms us into who God calls us to be because it forms us into people who want to worship their God, to worship him for his character and his actions. It reminds us that it's not merely on Sunday morning in this hour or two that we are to be people of worship, but every hour of every day. 
Second, we gathered together to sing songs of praise, and these are interspersed throughout our worship service. Psalm 130, like all the Psalms, was a song of worship to be sung by God's people when they gathered together. The fact that we are to praise and worship the Lord is shown very clearly by the fact that there are 150 Psalms in the Bible. There's a book of hymns right here in God's word. We don't need a further demonstration that God wants us to sing songs of praise. Psalm 95 is a beautiful song portraying the need for songs and praise. It says, oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence and thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. From this song, Psalm 95, you can see that as we gather to praise the Lord with song, it serves multiple purposes. Praise of his character, thanksgiving of who he is and what he has done, praise for his mighty acts, praise for his salvation. And amazingly, the songs we sing will also convict of us of our sin. The songs we sing will cause us to repent because Psalm 95 goes on and says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. They're singing about their former sins I recently read in an article, somebody reflecting said that they view the Bible as a musical because after every major event, the people of God compose a song and praise God for his awesome deeds. We are to be a people who sing God's praises. Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. The songs we use to worship the Lord should teach and admonish us to follow him better, to confess and repent of our sins. Here at EP, we recently had a worship style document that explains our whole concept of worship. It went out in Friday's email. I encourage you to read it. It's not very detailed. It lays some basic foundational guidelines and principles. And in it, it says that our worship music will be God-centered, theologically sound, gospel-driven, edifying to the congregation, and supportive of the theme of the sermon and text. That's it. That's all that explains about our worship music. Our worship music should be focused on those things. And so we're gonna sing hymns, both ancient and modern. We're gonna sing praise courses. We're gonna use a wide variety of musical instruments. And it's gonna benefit us all so much to have that variety. I personally, I love hymns, ancient, modern. There's some great, amazing hymns currently being written. One of my favorite groups is City Alight in Australia. They write modern hymns. But I sometimes am so challenged and broken out of my comfort zone when we sing a simple praise chorus that makes me see some new truth in a new light. We should all be receptive to different types of worship than we are typically used to. We need to be broken out of our comfort zone. You may come here on Sunday morning and feel that you're not a good singer. You're in good company. It's not about performance. 
It's not about, oh man, that person next to me is going to hear me sing and they're going to be like, ugh. No. You might feel awkward singing out loud. It's okay. It's important that you give voice to the spiritual realities that we are praising and singing about. There is nothing more exciting for me, and it may be nothing more exciting on Sunday morning for the worship team, who we are so thankful for, for them to look out and see you all singing along, encouraged to praise God. The praise we sing tells the story of God's salvation. The songs we sing here on Sunday morning are filled with the story of God's salvation, from creation to fall to redemption to restoration. We sing about it all, as well as praising God for who he is and his character and beauty. The songs we sing should, of course, inspire us to greater worship, as we sing songs that might be new to us or reveal some aspect of God's character and actions which we see in a new light, we will praise greater and greater. The worship songs will form us into who God calls us to be because we are called to be a people who praise our awesome God in song because he is truly praiseworthy. The songs further cement truths of identity, mission, hope, and desires into us as we sing them. The third aspect, confession and assurance. In Psalm 130, we see that God's people were called to confess and repent, which is a key part of our weekly liturgy. In verses one to three, the psalmist writes, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The author of this song recognizes the reality that as we come to worship the Lord, we will be convicted of our sins and we will need to corporately confess. One author who's written much on gathering together to worship, James K.A. Smith, says Christian worship faces the disturbing reality of sin head on, recognizing the gap between what we think we love and what we really love, what still propels us toward rival gods and rival visions of the good life. This is why the people of God are called to regularly confess their sins during worship. This is so contrary to our current cultural climate. Our current cultural climate loves to confess the sins of others, but it doesn't love to confess their own sins. We, as a people, struggle to confess our sins or to think that we have done wrong. And so that's why when we gather here together on Sunday morning, we together confess our sins before the Lord. We come together to corporately confess our sins in pre-written confessions so as to acknowledge areas that we may not individually recognize. We need to be challenged that, hey, maybe that is an area where you have sinned. We all need to be reminded of how great our sin is, greater than we often think. But our confession is never in isolation. It's never just that we confess our sins and then leave in humility, shame, sorrow. As we confess our sins, we will be assured of God's gracious pardon and forgiveness. Verse four of Psalm 130 goes on and says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The word feared here is to refer to reverent awe at God's awesome, mighty character and actions. So here at EP, we corporately confess from a pre-written confession, and then we hear an assurance of pardon from God's word often. Sometimes we will allow a song to serve that purpose, but we will often also take a moment of silence during our confession of sin to reflect on ourselves, to allow God to touch our hearts in the ways this week, maybe this day, 
we have sinned against him and others. The confession and assurance tells God's story of salvation beautifully, and that's central to the story of God's salvation is the fact that each one of us is a sinner desperately in need of forgiveness and salvation. We have all sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. We have all sinned against our neighbor, and so we need to be reminded of that. Reminded that that is still a current, present reality, but also reminded that we are assured of God's gracious forgiveness, assured that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, so we can praise him. As we reflect on both the depths of our sin and the heights of our salvation, we should be inspired to greater worship when we take that moment to stop singing and confess our sins and hear God's assurance of pardon, we should then sing the next song with greater excitement and joy because we are forgiven. The confession and assurance will form us into who God calls us to be. We as Christians are to be a confessing and repenting people. We are to be people who both ask for, receive, and extend forgiveness. We should be the best at giving forgiveness to others because we have been forgiven so much. And that's why the confession and assurance will form us into that type of people. Fourth, we gather together to give tithes and offerings to the Lord. And this might seem like something, how is that worship, Nathan? But in fact, it is an extremely important part of our worship. In Psalm 130, the psalmist calls the people to sing of how they wait for the Lord. In verse 5 to 6, they sing, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. They are to recognize their dependence and reliance on the Lord. This psalm has a broken, desperate situation in mind, the depths. But the reality is that we as humans are dependent creatures. Though we are in the depths, we depend and rely on the Lord. When we gather in corporate worship, our tithes and offerings are part of our worship as a recognition of our reliance on the Lord. We are saying by giving to the Lord that we recognize, Lord, that we are dependent creatures. Everything we have is from your hands, and we trust and rely on you alone. That's what we do when we give our tithes and offerings. And that's why I am saddened that we still, because of COVID, are not able to pass a plate. And I hope that soon we are able to pass a plate again because it is a visible recognition, part of our worship, that we rely on the Lord. When we remember, uh, as we do that, we remember and worship that we are a people who hope in him rather than in kingly or earthly resources. And this is what the people were to do in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 14, when Moses was teaching the people, he said, before the Lord your God and the place that he will choose, the temple, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd of your flock, that you may fear the Lord your God always. They were to give their tithes and offerings to the Lord to remind themselves that they were to fear God alone. That is what their worship through their tithes and offerings was to do. Because God doesn't need any of our money. Everything is his. And as we worship him every Sunday morning, we give back to him as a dual recognition of the reality that all we have is his and he will provide all that we need. There's a difference, a startling difference between how many Western churches do tithes and offerings and how churches in other places do this. Being a missionary, I've experienced a great many cultures, and in one uh, instance, I was made aware of how people in Africa give their tithes and offerings. 
They have a giant basket at the front, and the worship team is up there jamming out, and everybody dances forward and places their offering in the basket. And I heard one African missionary reflect, you Americans love your money too much. And somebody said, why? And they said, well, because during the offering time in American churches, everybody just looks so sad as they give their money away. We are to joyfully give because it's part of our worship. The story of God's interaction with his people is one of abundant provision. Again and again, the pages of scripture show us that God has given us all that we have, all that we need, and we are to give back to him as an expression of worship and reliance. Too often humans look to money for protection and provision. So we sadly worship money and the pleasures that it can bring. We may not think in such crass terms of worship when we think of money, but that is often at the root of much of our attitudes and actions when it comes to finances. Giving back to God in our offerings and tithes inspires us to place him at the center of our worship, not the security and pleasure that money can bring. Giving through tithes and offerings forms us into who God calls us to be. Giving our tithes and offerings forms us into a people who worship God alone, who trust in him alone, and who live as stewards of all that he has given us. Fifth, uh, another important part of our worship liturgy is congregational prayer. In Psalm 130, the people are reminded to come to the Lord in prayer and requests. In verse one, they are to call out to the Lord from the depths and difficulty. In verse two, they are to They are to depend on the Lord who will hear their voice and be attentive to their pleas. In verse five and six, they are to wait on the Lord. We as God's people are to pray to him individually and corporately. So what do we pray for in our congregational prayer? Well, we had a great example this morning from David. But we are to pray for everything that the human existence in this broken and fallen world needs to pray for. Basic needs, sickness, loss of a loved one, salvation of loved ones, local and national events, world events, lamenting in grief over individual and more broadly corporate events of sorrow and grief. We are to do all of this and so much more in our congregational prayer. Prayer is more than a checklist or a grocery list of our needs and wants. It is an opportunity for us to speak to God, for him to hear our needs, for our desires and our affections and wants and needs to be formed by him as we pray. The story of God's salvation and interaction with humanity is one where he is shown forth as a creator who desires a relationship with his people and prayer represents that beautiful, beautifully. Prayer should inspire us to greater worship as we take, bring our needs and desires and struggles to him and lay them at his feet and trust and rely on him and then continue to worship. Prayer forms us into a people who exist and depend on God. Six, we will come together and hear from God's word. In Psalm 130, verse six, we are reminded to wait for the Lord and in his word hope. We are to hope in God and his word above all else. The Psalms are filled with reflections like this, but Psalm 119 is the most amazing Psalm praising God's word and his law. It is one giant acrostic using the Hebrew alphabet, 176 verses, each stanza beginning with the next letter of the alphabet. The author praises God's word in this manner. Verse one, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. 
Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is a guide to life. It's sweeter than honey. It is forever eternally true. It will give us hope despite all the struggles and difficulties of this world. And if we hope in it, we will be blessed. As we gather in corporate worship, we want to be guided, strengthened, equipped, challenged, comforted by God's word. So that's why we devote a significant time to hearing the preaching of God's word here on Sunday morning. God's word is like a map or a compass. When we are lost in a foreign and strange land, we need to be guided, and we are all in a foreign and strange land as we live in a world that is far from God. We need to be guided, and God's word is that map and compass. Reading the Bible and hearing a sermon reflecting on a text of Scripture will, of course, tell the story of God's salvation because the story of God's salvation is written on every page of Scripture. It will inspire us to greater worship as God's character and actions and salvation are revealed on the pages of Scripture, and it will form us into who God calls us to be as we reflect on the ways that we do not hold the beliefs and viewpoints that God wants us to. The final part of our worship is a benediction. Psalm 130 almost seems to end with a benediction. The psalm finishes with seven, verse seven to eight. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. A benediction is a blessing. It is a sending out. It is a call to be that whom God has saved us to be, a people of God growing into Christ-likeness. One author explaining the benediction says that it is proclaimed at the close of a worship service as an expression of hope and encouragement to God's people to face whatever their future might hold. They are reminded of a good and great God who is rich in mercy, who is not only for them, but with them in whatever trials may befall their course in life. So we give the benediction to send people out, strengthened in their faith. The benediction tells the story as we are reminded of who we now are in our salvation. It inspires us to greater worship by reminding us that worship doesn't end when this time ends. Worship is to be carried out from here into the world, and it forms us into the people God calls us to be by reminding us of some of the calls on each one of us as Christians. What are some of the applications and implications, quickly, of this overview of a worship service? First, all of it is important. There's not one part that is less important or one part that is more important. I don't want you to come in just to hear me or Harrison or somebody else preach. I want you to be here from the very beginning so that the whole worship service can impact you, inform you. Second, we should be mindful of everything that is happening. It can be very easy to enter into this space and time and just flow through the sections, songs, and actions. It can become so familiar and therefore unimportant. Rather, let us mindfully, attentively enter into our Sunday morning worship service. To that effect, we should be praying for this worship service during the week, especially the morning of. And I want you to especially be mindful of if you are just consuming or if you are participating in the worship. Third, we have already seen how worship is formative. It should form us in many ways, and so we should be open and receptive to that formation. 
We should be ready to be challenged, convicted. And if we feel challenged and convicted, we shouldn't leave angry, but we should leave inquisitively, curiously. Is that an area where I need to be changed and challenged and formed? Fourth, let Sunday impact and influence Monday through Saturday. If you just come here on Sunday morning and you have a great experience and then you leave and nothing changes, that is a waste and a loss. Sunday should impact and influence Monday through Saturday. James K. Smith says, while communal worship calibrates the heart in necessary fundamental ways, we need to take the opportunity to cultivate kingdom-oriented liturgies throughout the week. The capital L liturgy of Sunday morning should generate lowercase l liturgies that govern our existence throughout the rest of the week. So each of us need to reflect, how can what we do here on Sunday impact every day of the week? Are there ways that I can reflect on the sermon? Are there ways that I can incorporate the songs or the prayers? Are there other things I can do to worship every day? Finally, it is important to attend worship on a weekly basis. If we are being formed by cultural liturgies every moment of the week, and we are, sporting events, TV, ads, music, so much forms us to long for, desire, and appreciate American cultural things, then how much more important is it that we are formed by God's true story revealed in the Bible and celebrated through this worship service so that we can enter the week ready to be strengthened against the things that want to form us in opposite directions. Well, as we come to a close, let me reflect on one more quote by James K. Smith. The church, the body of Christ, is the place where God invites us to renew our loves, reorient our desires, and retrain our appetites. Indeed, isn't the church where we are, nourished by the word, where we can eat the word and receive the bread of life? The church is that household where the spirit feeds us what we need and where we, by his grace, become a people who desire him above all else. And how fitting is it that today we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is a meal reflecting on God's salvation, how he has saved us from our sin and nourishes us on a daily, weekly basis. During his earthly ministry, Christ instructed his followers to practice the Lord's Supper by eating the bread and drinking the cup in remembrance of him and his death until he returned. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. And so if you are a Christian who has trusted in Jesus Christ, you are welcome here today at the Lord's table. We are so happy that you are here. If you are not a Christian, we are also equally happy that you are here, but we would encourage you not to partake of the Lord's Supper because we don't want you to do anything that is not genuine of who you are, but we would invite you to come and speak to somebody afterwards and ask more questions about Christianity. Let's pray to prepare our hearts. Lord God, we come to you this morning reflecting of how we need you so much, reflecting on your great and awesome salvation, reflecting on how too often we do not worship you as we should. Lord, touch our hearts, convict us of our sin. But also, Lord, we pray, assure us of your amazing, gracious forgiveness. We thank you for your meal the Lord's Supper, that reminds us of your death and salvation and resurrection. Encourage and strengthen us today, we pray through it. In Jesus' name, amen.